Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your blood that was shed for us and your body that was broken for us. I pray that now you would bless us as we hear your word, help us to understand it, to believe it, to obey it, and to be able to teach it to others as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Northwest kids, it's time for you to go and find your teachers. Hope you have a great time. The rest of you can go ahead and be seated. Well, this week we're getting back into the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus preaching the gospel of his kingdom. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is basically talking to us about what does it look like to live a life where he is on the throne of our life and every aspect of our life we submit to him and to his rule and his protection and his care. And this week we're talking about anxiety. Now, anxiety is, is something that's on a lot of people's minds these days. It's been said before that fear is being distressed because of something that is happening right now. Whereas anxiety is being distressed, it's that feeling of emotional distress that you get because of something that could happen or that you imagine happening or that might happen. Public health officials estimate that around 40 million Americans have anxiety disorders, not just struggle with anxiety, but have diagnosable anxiety disorders. And Jesus has something to tell us today about what it looks like for us to navigate life and to deal with anxiety as members of his kingdom. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're looking at verses 25 through 34. So Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. What does Jesus have to say to you, whether you struggle with anxiety a little bit or whether you struggle with anxiety a lot? What does Jesus have to say to you and to us about what to do when we're feeling anxious. And Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food? The body not more than clothing? Look, look at the birds of the air, They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And and which of you, by being anxious, can add even a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or 
what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about, about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, so yesterday I was, Saturday, I spent about two hours just alone with my daughter, Ruby, my five-year-old daughter, Ruby. And the library near our house, they do these like uh, reading aloud kids programs and stuff. And so uh, Ruby and I, we went to the, the library uh, next to off Lewis Stevens Road. And they did these, um, there's like a, a teacher there, a librarian there that, that reads a story and kind of shows the kids. And there's lots of kids and they're all kind of ages, I think it's ages two through five. And I'm looking at Ruby, and she's just engrossed in this story. She's listening to the teacher. She's watching as she turns the pages. You know, the teacher asks a question, and you know, she raises her hand and wants to, wants to answer and stuff. And uh, then they do a craft, and they're doing this thing where they, like, it says, you know, V is for vine or something. And so they, you know, they carve out, they, they cut out a little pumpkin or, like, a vine, and they have these little ribbons, and she's getting glue, and she and I sit down cross-legged on the floor, in the, on the floor of the library, and we've got our, our paper, and she's cutting out her pumpkin, and then she's got the glue stick, and she's you know, slapping it on, and then she's coloring things in, and she's writing her name on it, and, uh, and we just had a great time. And the thing I noticed about Ruby during those interactions, the thing that I noticed about children in general, especially younger children, and maybe those of you who have children or grandchildren, or if you have younger siblings, maybe you've noticed this too, is that Ruby, that whole time, we were together for just, just the two of us for at least two hours. She was just in the moment. She was just living in the moment. She was just focused on what she was doing. Okay, when, she, when the teacher was reading the book, she was, she was reading, she was listening to the story. When we were doing the craft, she was focused on the glue stick and the ribbon and the tape and the crayons and all this type of stuff. Afterwards, you know, she's like, Daddy, I want a snack. Can we go get a snack? And then she was focused on, on the snack, right? And this is the way children tend to be. Probably for most of us, we are most able to live in the moment when we're children, right? And the reason this is is that children, for the most part, if they're in a stable, relatively healthy family situation, they tend to kind of have this sense of mommy and daddy love me and they're going to take care of me and so everything's going to be all right. All right? Doesn't mean they're happy all the time. Definitely doesn't mean they're happy all the time. I mean, yesterday at the, at the library, there's kids like, I want that snack, not that snack. And, you know, you should have seen Ruby. We were having a meltdown because she's trying to stick this little ribbon on her piece of paper and the thing won't stick. And that was a really big deal. So it's not that she's always happy, but she's not sitting there thinking, as she's doing this project, this little craft, she's not sitting there thinking, oh gosh, I hope Vladimir Putin doesn't use nuclear missiles. You know, and if she's eating snacks, she's not sitting there thinking, oh, I hope that inflation doesn't make it so we can't pay our mortgage. 
No, and she's not necessarily happy. I mean, she'll get in fights with her siblings, but she's, she's focused on the thing that she's doing because she has this sense of, you know, mommy and daddy are kind of knuckleheads sometimes, but they care about me and they seem to take care of things. And so I can relax and just focus on what I'm doing now because they're going to take care of the, of the, the big stuff of the, the long-term stuff. And it's interesting, that's kind of what Jesus, when we think about the perspective Jesus wants us to have as we go through our life, look at verse 34, because I think it's very similar to that childlike taking it one thing at a time, not being distracted, focusing on what you're doing. Look at verse 34, he says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about, about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is saying, I want you to live in the moment. Not that you're always just going to, you know, never have any problems and every day is just going to be rainbows and butterflies. But, you know, there's stuff to do today and I want you to focus on doing the things that are laid out for you today, doing the thing that you're doing right now, instead of just freaking out about things that are outside of your control. Now, What's interesting is, for all children, there's this thing that happens, and it happens sooner or later. For some people, it happens very, very early. For some people, it happens, it happens later. There's a certain point, so you kind of, you have this sort of childlike, carefree ability to live in the moment that makes you be curious and creative and passionate and, and, and energetic and, and things like that and attentive, but at a certain point, that bubble just kind of bursts. Something happens to you. Something is done to you. Something that you're hoping is going to happen doesn't happen. Somebody says something to you that's unkind or that's cruel. And at a certain point, that bubble just kind of bursts. And that sense of, that inner belief of, everything's going to be okay because mommy and daddy love me and they're going to take care of me, that inner sense of everything's going to be okay gets replaced with this belief that this world is a scary, dangerous place. So I better be looking over my shoulder. I better be trying to see around all the corners. I better be trying to anticipate every threat. Otherwise, something bad's going to happen to me. And that's where this anxiety comes from. You know, people talk about anxiety a lot. And in the church, sometimes we can get caught up in thinking, is this a genetic thing? Is this a biological thing? Is this an environmental thing? Or is this a spiritual thing? And the truth is, I think it's all, it's all of those. It's all of those combined. And when Jesus speaks to us today through his word, he's not just speaking to one aspect of us. He's speaking to all of us. He's speaking to the whole person. And, you know, there's kind of two things you can do when that bubble bursts, the first option that you have is what most people do. What I would say I've unfortunately spent a lot of my life trying to do, which is to recreate that sense of everything's going to be okay by being in control of your life. By trying to control your life the way you naively thought your parents were in control of your life back before that bubble burst. But the second way, which is the only way that really does help us with anxiety, the second way is to realize that you have a heavenly father 
that's going to take care of you and everything's going to be okay so you can just focus on today and doing what's set out for you today because he's going to be in charge of the big stuff, okay? If you look at Matthew 6, there's no... It's, one thing that you have to notice is that Jesus is very, very intentional at reminding us that God is our Father. He says in, in, verse, uh, in verse 4, he's talking about giving. He says, don't, you know, don't show off and say, hey, look at how much I'm giving. No, give in secret. Give, give, don't give by sounding a trumpet before you because your heavenly Father, who's in secret, he will see and he'll reward you. And then talking about prayer, he says, don't just try to perform this really, really good prayer thinking that, you know, that I have to be really loud or really eloquent or really, really intelligent or super spiritual as I pray. I, no, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And then when he's talking about fasting, the same thing. He says, you know, don't disfigure your face and try to make everybody see, oh, look how spiritual I am. Oh, don't mind me, I'm just fasting. No, he says, do this for your Father who sees in heaven. So he, he's telling us to view God as our Father. And so what this passage is, as we think about anxiety, Jesus is telling us that feeling that maybe you once had of everything's going to be okay, so I can just focus on what I'm doing right now, it's possible to get that back. Not because you can make all the right decisions and read all the books and read all the blogs and, and know everything and control everything, but because you have a heavenly father who is taking care of you. So three, we'll call these affirmations that we can sort of remind ourselves of, that we can speak to ourselves, we can speak to our anxious hearts as we're dealing with different types of anxiety. The first one is, my Father in heaven takes care of me. My Father in heaven takes care of me. Um, you know, when Lindsay and I, we first got married, when I was growing up, I, our, our family wasn't, we weren't rich, but we, you know, we, we, never, we never had any any serious uh, lack. We always had food on the table. Um, and so I, I kind of grew up in this, with this sense of like, you know, I don't really, I, I'm not trying to get rich, but I never really had to worry too much about money, right? Um, but when I got married, when I, when I got engaged, really in 2009, it just kind of like hit me like a ton of bricks, this idea that, oh my goodness, I'm in charge of providing for a family now, <laughs> And, and all of a sudden, that feel, like it just, it just smacked me. And these things I never really worried about before I started to worry about. Like, you know, we were getting ready to go to China, and we're raising support, and I'm thinking about, oh, my gosh, what if one day I need to go to grad school? And, you know, what if we have to come back from China? And what if we can't raise enough support? And, and what if we have kids? And how are we going to pay for college? And, and what if we can't buy a house? And all these things. And I was just racked with anxiety because I was worried that I wouldn't be able to have the things that I needed. Can any of you relate to that? Any of you ever felt that way before? Look at what Jesus says here. He says for us to remember, to remind ourselves in that moment, my Father in heaven takes care of me. So he talks about, um, in, in verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. 
So the thing about birds is they're not lazy, right? They're not lazy. They don't just sit there kind of like just hoping that, you know, worms are going to drop out of heaven or something. No, they, they're, they're not lazy. They'll go out and they'll gather their food and they'll build their nest. So they're not idle. They're not lazy. But they also don't have retirement funds. They, they don't have health insurance in case, you know, dad gets hit by a windshield and then, you know, you've got to, you know, they, they don't have, they don't have like worms piled up, stockpiled somewhere so that if they, if, if they can't, if there's a drought for like a year that they'll have enough to eat or enough to, to drink, they, they don't do that. They don't have barns, they don't have storehouses. And yet, what does it say? Your father, this father that we're talking about, your heavenly father, the one who sees you, the one who knows you, what does he do? He takes care of them. He provides for them. And he's inviting us to say, well, those are birds. Those are birds. If God takes care of the birds, is he not going to take care of you? Heck yeah, he's going to take care of you. And look at what he says before that in verse 25. He says, is life not more than food, the body not more than clothing? What he's saying is, God gave you your life. You don't think he's going to give you food to sustain it? That would be like if I said, um, if I got my, my daughter like this really cool Christmas present. But then she's like, oh, dad, you know, this like walking, talking robot doll, whatever thingy. Um, it, oh, it needs, it needs batteries. Like, sorry, no batteries. We're not getting the batteries. Like, well, you spent a lot of money on this. You're not, nope, no batteries. Like, no, God gave you your life. He's going to give you what you need to sustain it. He gave you your body. Right? He's going to give you what you need to, to clothe it. The fact that he's given you so much already doesn't mean that you've come to the end of your credit line. It means he's invested in you and he's going to take care of you. That's the first thing. The second thing, second affirmation, my father in heaven is making me glorious. My father in heaven is making me glorious. Another time I remember being particularly anxious was in 2000, my junior year at Carolina, so that would have been in 2006. And it was right before basketball season started. And that was always kind of a stressful, intense time. You know, you're always worried you're going to get cut. There's going to be somebody new that comes. You're not going to get as much playing time. You know, it's junior year. You're starting to look ahead and start thinking about, well, what am I going to do after, after I graduate? Um, you're starting to think, okay, you know, been here two years, don't have a girlfriend yet, you know, clock's ticking, want to find somebody, right? And so seriously, all these, pre- and then, then school, and you're taking a full course load and, and having the constant pressure of all these things. And so I remember there's this one time, it was like the week before basketball practice started, and um, you know, I, I was single and kind of you know, wishing that I, that I wasn't, and I was working on this paper and it was like, I went to, the, li- to the, the computer lab in the library. It must have been at like 10 o'clock at night, which was not late for me. I mean, college me was midnight after midnight at the earliest going to bed. So it wasn't like it was super late at night. But I was, I was at the computer, I was writing this paper, and it was something, I think it was like for a drama class or something. It was something stupid, not the drama stupid. 
if you like drama. But the point is, it, it wasn't that I had to like read all these books and like, I mean, I like drama too, but you know what I'm saying. It wasn't like, it wasn't biochemistry, okay? No offense to, to drama majors. So it wasn't a super challenging paper, but I just didn't want to write it and I was just stressed out and I was worried about, you know, my future. I was worried about finding a girlfriend. I was worried about basketball practice and all these things. And I was sitting here at the computer and my vision just kind of started to get fuzzy. And then I noticed like my heart was, started, started beating really fast. And it was, I mean, it was kind of a cool fall night, but I started to, to sweat. And then the room kind of started to spin. I didn't know what was happening. I mean, it felt like I was, it felt like I was dying. And so I literally, you know, in the middle of the computer lab, the only thing I knew how to do, like I could I, I was feeling like I was going to get sick or I was going to cry or I was going to something, it just something was going on. And, uh, and so what I did, I just, the only thing I knew how to do, knew to do at that point was just to lay down on the floor and literally just kind of lay there and close my eyes and just kind of curl up there. And I don't know how long I was there, if it was two minutes or 30 minutes, it felt like it was a long time. But finally, after, after I was there long enough, the room kind of stopped spinning and I felt I didn't feel nauseous anymore. I was able to get up and, and, kind, of, and kind of do the next thing. But that just, it rocked me. And that was one of two times that I'm aware of, at least in my life, that I've had a panic attack. And I know some of you have experienced that before. Maybe some of you have experienced even worse panic attacks than, than I have. Um, but that was one of the two times in my life that I had that experience. Now, the thing is, in that moment, I wasn't worried about being naked, right? It wasn't like I'm not going to be able to afford pants. <laughs> it wasn't like I'm not going to have food, I'm going to starve. Well, why was I so anxious then? I was worried that I was becoming an insignificant person. I was worried that I was just kind of becoming this loser who's not going to be good at basketball, who's not going to make good grades, who's not going to get a good job, who's not going to be able to get married and all these things. I was worried that I was going to, I was worried I was just turning into this kind of, this doormat, right? And that's where I had all this anxiety because I was worried I was just becoming this kind of insignificant person. What does Jesus tell us? Look at what he says about the flowers. He says, look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spend. But I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon was the king of Israel at the very pinnacle of their empire. He was the king that had the most wealth, the best clothes, he is the one that was in the stories. He was the one that all the other kings were jealous of. He was the one that everybody would come from Egypt or from other places in Mesopotamia. They would come from miles and miles away just to see Solomon because he was awesome. And he had wealth. And he lived in this palace. And the, there's the temple that was just glorious. And look at what Jesus is saying God does to the grass. You know, the thing about flowers is they're kind of unnecessary, right? I know maybe some biologists would say, well, there's technically a, a, a reason that you need to have the pollen. Like, I, I don't care. Like, the, the, the reason, the, the reason that, that God gave us flowers isn't because he had to. 
It's because he's a glorious God, and he loves displaying his glory through his creation. It's because he's a beautiful God, and when he creates things, he makes his creatures beautiful. He makes his creatures glorious. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we, those of us who are disciples of Jesus, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed from one degree of glory into another. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says that before Jesus chose you, before he saved you, he decided, God decided that he was going to make you like Jesus. You were not created to be a doormat. God did not create you to be the love handles on the body of Christ. God created you to be a glorious reflection and image of his beauty and of his glory. C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Weight of Glory, this is a line, it almost seems blasphemous to say, but when you look at what the Bible says, it's really true. He says, when you look into the eyes of somebody who belongs to Jesus, when you look into the eyes of the most dull, uninteresting, boring, bland person who belongs to Jesus. You were looking at someone who was being transformed into a creature that if you saw one day what they were going to become, if you could see what they're going to become right now, it would be so glorious that you would be tempted to bow down and worship them. He says, God is making you like Jesus to radiate his glory, to radiate the character of Christ. God might not be making you to be a basketball star or to be married to the person of your dreams or to be rich and famous, but he is making you glorious. He's not trying to just put you in the corner. Well, the third thing that we can affirm when we're feeling anxious. He says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Remember what I was telling you about Ruby? The way she has this kind of internal sense and I mean, God knows her mom and dad screw up all the time, but she has this sense of like, my basic needs are gonna be met and mom and dad love me, and that kind of allows her just to sort of be in the moment. That's what this allows us to do, too. When we start to realize, I have a heavenly Father who takes care of me and who is making me glorious, it allows us to live in the moment. It allows us to stop worrying about the economy or about, you know, politics or about what people think about us and just to focus on the things that he's calling us to do. It says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We said this before, we live in a kingdom. Jesus is our king, and what this means to seek his righteousness and to seek his kingdom is basically to ask him the question, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? What do you have for me to do today? How do you want me to serve today? How do you want me to love somebody today? And to follow the will of God, be obedient to our king, 
because he's taking care of all the big stuff. We can focus on that and have joy and peace and contentment in that. Well, so these three things, my heavenly father takes care of me, my heavenly father is making me glorious, and therefore I can relax and live for him today. These three affirmations, these are three things as you feel anxious that I encourage you to remind yourself of these things. But let's get personal for a minute. When do you get anxious? What's a situation where you feel anxious? And maybe it's you're worried that you're not going to have enough of something, enough money. Maybe it's kind of the second thing I was talking about there, which is more along the lines of you're worried that you're becoming an insignificant failure. What's a situation where you feel anxious? You know, sometimes we have a hard time recognizing when we're feeling anxious. And some people would even say, well, I don't feel anxious. You probably do. I heard one pastor say that anxiety usually manifests itself in three ways. A racing heart. A racing mind. Oh, what am I going to do about this? What if this happens? Well, how am I going to respond? What if she says this? Or a twisting gut. When are times where maybe you wouldn't have even said, oh, I was, I was feeling anxious, but maybe you were experiencing those symptoms, a racing mind, a racing heart, or that feeling in the pit of your stomach, oh, no. What's the situation where you, where you feel that way? You know, for some of us, the way anxiety comes out, we're not necessarily even feeling or aware that we're feeling those physical symptoms. Sometimes it comes out as impatience. Sometimes it comes out as overreacting, getting too angry, getting more angry than is warranted in a particular situation. So many times I find when I get impatient with my kids, it really has less to do with them and more about the fact that I'm worried that something's not going to happen. I'm either distracted by something at work or something kind of in the news or whatever, or I'm worried about something I want for them and they're not helping me meet that goal. And so I'm feeling anxious and I lose my temper with them. Maybe for you, you would say, oh, anxiety is for weak people. But if you think about it, when was the last time that you were impatient with somebody? When's the last time you flew off the handle at somebody? Is it possible that beneath that was not just that you have high standards, but that you were anxiously worrying that something bad would happen if you didn't get what you wanted. When's the time that you feel anxious? And here's the second question I'll ask. The same question I asked last week. What would it look like for you when you're feeling anxious, 
to take that to your heavenly Father? What would it look like for you when you feel that twisting gut, when you, sent, when you realize, oh no, for the last, you know, I've, been, I've been sitting at dinner with my family, but my mind hasn't been here. My mind's been racing about all the schoolwork I need to get done. My mind's been racing about all these projects I have to finish. Or, or when you find yourself kind of breathing, getting shallow, or your heart rate sort of beating fast. What would it look like for you next time to not go into the, I'm just going to grab tighter mode. I'm going to buckle down and control mode. But instead to go and talk to your Father who's in heaven, who cares for you. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. I have a heavenly father who loves me and will take care of me. And because of that, I can take these things I'm anxious about and I can take them to him. I can literally throw those things onto him. So what would that look like? Well, same as we talked about last week. Remember that kind of that exercise I had us think about the breathe out and breathe in. Okay, breathing, physical breathing can be helpful with anxiety. It can. But what we're talking about, this idea of spiritual breathing, is extremely helpful as well. This is what it could look like. Next time you're feeling anxious, first of all, breathe out. Come to Jesus and just tell him what you're anxious about. You don't have to have an answer you don't, you know, maybe you feel, well, this isn't really worth worrying about. Well, it must be because you are. Maybe you think, well, compared to other people's problems, this isn't a big problem. I feel bad talking to God about it. He cares for you. That's why I enjoy playing Legos and doing story time with, with Ruby. To be honest, the book wasn't that interesting that the lady was reading. <laughs> to be honest, don't tell... The craft, the craft really was kind of, uh. but I like being with her. I want to hear how she's doing. I want to see what she's doing. That's the way your heavenly father feels about you. So you tell him what you're anxious about. You're not saying, I'm going to fix it. You tell him what you're anxious about. Breathe out and then breathe in. Breathe in by reminding yourself of these three things. My Father in heaven will take care of me. My Father in heaven will take care of me. Maybe you even go back to this verse and you're not feeling it in your heart, but I've said this before and I'll say it again. As your pastor, it's my job to help those of you who are over 40 who very likely learn to not pay attention to your emotions. It's my job to help you recognize your emotions and take them to Jesus. And for those of you that are under 40, it's my job to help you, because we tend to be very comfortable talking about our emotions, it's my job to help you not only recognize and feel your emotions, but not be dominated by them. And so there's going to be these times where God's word says something, but you don't feel it, and that's okay. Continue to remind yourself, my Father in heaven takes care of me. My Father in heaven is making me glorious. I can relax and live for him today. 
And then ask him. You can literally ask him. You can say, Lord, he's your king. You know what kings are really good at doing? Telling people what to do. How many times do we feel anxious because we don't know what we should do? Right? We can ask our king, say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? I can't fix these long-term things. What do you want me to do today? And listen to what he tells you. And then, and then tell him, say, Lord, I'm breathing in. Lord, I can't do that by myself. Holy Spirit, I need you inside me to go with me to help me do that thing, to help me do it joyfully, to help me focus on you, to help me rely on you, to help me rest in you. So breathe out. Cast your anxiety on him. And breathe in. Remind yourself you have a Father in heaven who takes care of you, who's making you glorious, who you can live for today. Ask him what he wants you to do today, and then go. Go in the knowledge that he's with you, whether you feel it or not. Um, I'll ask the band to go ahead and come on stage. And I just want to close with this. You know, I had a friend, I've had a number of friends that have adopted, but I had one particular family I was very close to several years ago who, they adopted this child who was, I want to say like maybe seven or eight years old. And the thing is, this child had been abandoned and neglected for up until they were adopted. And what they said it, and what they said is, it's okay. And what they said is that that child would would hoard. You know what hoarding is? They they would have dinner, but this child would they would take extra food and like put it in their pocket. Why would they do that? They were not used to having a father and a mother that took care of them. They were still living like an orphan. And that's kind of the way we are. And what this father told me, he said, I have to remind them every single day, I'm not just, this isn't just foster care. This isn't an orphanage. You're not going to be shipped off to somewhere else tomorrow. There's food today. There's going to be food tomorrow. There's going to be food next week. We love you just like we do the rest of our kids. I am your father. And I think some of us are kind of like those orphans, aren't we? And we need to constantly be reminded we have a heavenly father who loves us. And it might take a whole lifetime for for it to get through to us. But it will. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for loving us, for being with us, and I ask you by your spirit, work these truths into our heart, Father. Help us when we're anxious. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.